And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Captain Dale Black, who went to heaven and back following a horrific plane crash. Dale, thank you for joining me today and welcome. A pleasure to be with you, Jeff, and, and to get to know you just a bit before this program. Uh, anxious to talk to you, share anything you want. You feel free to ask any questions that you like. And uh, I just hope to be able to give a little bit of information about God and who, who he really is, mm. because that's what happened to me. My life completely changed 180 degrees in a, in a matter of a few moments. Well, let's start with that crash and go from there. It was July 18th, 1969, way back long time ago. <clears throat> but I was only 19 years old. I got to the airport at about uh, 5 a.m., nice and early. It was in the Hollywood uh, Burbank area near NBC Studios right there. And I had loaded the airplane as I was instructed to do. I was a licensed pilot, but I was not old enough and experienced enough to fly this airplane that was full of cargo. We were taking uh, bank checks uh, throughout the state of California, drop, dropping them off for the banks to open up and proceed their that money. And uh, so we did this every day. We were loading the airplane. I got there and loaded everything, pre-flighted. Everything was good. Weather was good. No winds, no clouds, really. Uh, Chuck, my mentor, my flight instructor, showed up. We shook hands, greeted each other. And then, for the first time, a new individual came in. I'd been told about him, but he was a, a relative of the chief pilot, and he was going to fly left seat that day. Well, he was a police officer. He had flying experience. He'd flown this route himself, so he was flying left seat. I was in the right seat expecting to serve as co-pilot, and Chuck, the actual uh, boss, was sitting in between us in the third seat. We taxied out. Everything was fine. Beautiful airplane, by the way. A Piper Navajo Chieftain, a 10-seat uh, twin-engine aircraft. And uh, strangely, just before takeoff, Chuck, the captain, the boss, tapped me on the shoulder and, and actually motioned for me to switch seats with him. So since he's the boss, I did so. He got on the right seat. I sat in the temporary third seat. Uh, we were cleared for takeoff, started rolling down the runway. Everything seemed normal to me. Uh, didn't seem like anybody noticed anything wrong. And so we were spinning down the runway, everything going normal. And the sound of the engines was normal. And we rotated the aircraft. Now, the aircraft rotates. Uh, all airplanes do this. The nose goes up, but the main gear is still on the ground. And so we rotated the aircraft. And that's where I had my first question mark. Why are we rotating this airplane so soon today? Because that didn't seem normal. And then we lifted off the ground, brought the landing gear. I could hear the gear going up, the struts extending, all the normal and familiar sounds. We started climbing, got higher from the ground, 50 feet, about 100 feet off the ground. And then, uh, Jeff, I knew something was wrong. I could hear the engines uh, extremely out of sync. And, and what that means, it doesn't mean that you've lost an engine that one has died. It could mean that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. But they're not spinning in harmony. If you get two engines 
and they're not spinning at the same RPM, you have instead of this normal hum, you know, this beautiful hum between two, two engines, you have just the opposite. This it's a horrible sound, and it's not supposed to happen. And we were hearing that sound all of a sudden. Chuck is now in the right seat. He's in command of the aircraft from the right seat, and he points with his left hand, and he looks out the windshield and says, let's land in that clear area over there. Well, that's the last thing I have ever expected to hear. No training prepares you for that at all. And then I could see these tall trees. Jeff, they were about 100 feet tall. So these are huge trees in what looked like an area of a maybe a city park, maybe a golf course, I wasn't sure. And then at the last possible second, I looked down and I saw Chuck grab the flight controls with both hands and he turned them all the way left and then pulled all the way back against his chest in a very fast motion. Took about a tenth of a second for him to do that. And I'm looking down at his hands, watching them turn he was squeezing so tight. He, uh, I could watch them turn from the normal pink uh, to just white. And our left wingtip, now this is going back in time after the crash. I found out months later that our left wingtip had clipped these trees at the 80-foot mark level and spun the airplane now about 20 to 25 degrees to the left. And there was this large, 100-foot-tall building. A, now, this is I, ironic, I know. Prepare yourself. But it was a building in the middle of a cemetery, a mausoleum erected in memory of deceased pilots. It's an aviation memorial. And inside that are the... Memorial of Amelia Earhart, Billy Mitchell, the Wright brothers, mechanic. I mean, famous aviators are interred there. I never knew it existed. It's called Portal of the Folded Wings. And we slammed right into the, near the top of it. We just missed the top uh, by about five feet. The, um, the official impact speed uh, recorded by the National Transportation Safety Board was 110. 35 miles an hour, and with the weight of our aircraft and the solid structure of that mausoleum, it was basically immovable. So the aircraft broke into thousands of pieces. There was no cockpit to be in anymore. So all three of us pilots hit this monument, and it's that impact that killed the three of us, we're told. And then we fell to the ground which was 70 to 80 feet of a fall straight down. Again, uh, we're in our seats. We slam into the ground uh, with a bone-crushing impact. And uh, now this is where everything gets weird. <laughs> you know, I, I like science. I, I like uh, uh, business. I like things. I like math. And uh, uh, I like things that are solid and provable. And now all of a sudden, I'm going into completely uncharted and unfamiliar territory for me. And that is, I'm looking down 
I'm looking down at three pilots, not knowing that I was a pilot for a moment. I didn't remember the crash that I was in the airplane. I'm just looking down from about 15 feet above the ground and I see three bodies and the first pilot um, is completely dead. I mean, he, he was decapitated. Okay. I don't say that often, but with you, I think your audience can handle it. He was completely dead, obviously. And I didn't quite connect the dots. And then I looked at the next pilot and this is Chuck. Oh my gosh, this is my mentor. This is my flight instructor. I mean, I, he and I had plans. We had all kinds of plans together. And then here, there he is, uh, clearly dead. And then there's a third body. And then that's me. And then I realized, oh my gosh, we'd been at a crash. Oh yes, I remember. We were preparing. I'd pre-flighted the airplane. I loaded the airplane. And about that time, Chuck checks are still raining down. And I'm seeing all of this uh, just right after the crash. And if this makes any sense to you, within about uh, 60 seconds, if, if I can just slow down a 60-second span of time, I went from, wow, what happened? I don't know, to, oh, yeah, I know where I am and what happened. And, oh, my gosh, I died. I'm so young. I was so young. I had so many plans. Oh, my gosh. And still within this 60-second period, it hit me. I'm a spirit. I'm not a body. That's that's not me. That's my body. But th this is me. I'm up here. And this is the real me. I'm a spirit. And I don't know where I learned this. It just happened. It just all of a sudden happened within that 60 seconds of time. I realized that I am a spirit. I have a soul, and I used to live in that body right down there. And all of a sudden, it all made sense that the whole world is a spiritual realm. I now call it the first dimension. And the first dimension is all around us. Every day we wake up, we're in the first dimension, but it's, in, it's a dimension that is actually invisible. And we have a glimpse of it now and then. We see people in the Bible that finally get a glimpse of the first dimension. And I had this experience right after the impact of the crash. So I realized that I'm a spirit. I will live forever. Um, I also have a soul. That's my mind, my, my will, and my emotions. And that also lives together. The two go to heaven or hell. I realized all of this. And it all had to do with what happened next. And I'll explain that in just a moment. But but I was alive, not afraid, not in any pain. And there's my body down there and uh, watching that I had been crushed up against the uh, instrument panel of the cockpit and uh, was obviously dead. Some people came from Lockheed. Skunk Works was right there. Some of your audience might know what that is, uh, the black operations of Lockheed Martin there in Hollywood. This three engineers come run, running over. And uh, well, I have pictures of this, by the way. There's a beautiful picture of the whole crash just moments after impact. 
and uh, uh, the Lockheed pilots, the engineers came over and they checked the first guy dead, second guy dead, third guy me uh, looked dead and there was no blood flow and no movement. And there was fuel everywhere. They could smell it. It all made sense. Everything was hot. So there's going to be a fire any minute. Run back, though. They all ran back. Don't blame them for a second. And uh, to make a long, long story short, a paramedic who I have never been able to find, he uh, he came down and gave me res resuscitation. I was put in an ambulance, and my spirit and my soul uh, was out of my body. And some people will call this a ride to the ambulance, the, the ambulance a ride to the hospital, but I, I call it more of a chase because I wasn't really in my body. I was outside the ambulance knowing that I had to stay near my body. And I don't even know how I did it, Jeff. I don't know. I don't understand hardly anything. But I followed my body, looking through the glass, watching them work on me. And apparently, I was alive. And uh, I get to the hospital, and they put my body in a gurney, and I follow the body, and I go into the uh, emergency room. They start cutting off the clothes. There's big doctors there, big strong guy. Nurses are there. And I'm hovering uh, just below the acoustical ceiling, looking down and watching the flurry of activity that's going on below. And yet, I'm not worried. I'm not bothered. I'm just a little bit sad that my life ended when I was only 19. And I had so much, uh, so many plans. And, and uh, those would all, of course, end. Strangely, right then, I had the most vivid experience that I can describe until I until I go further. But something happened. Uh, Jeff, when I was looking down at my body, I, I felt like I was watching a, a vision of my life. Some have asked, uh, well, is this a life review? Did you go through the life review? And I never knew what that meant. All I could tell you is what happened to me. And that is, I felt like I was watching an old movie, the old kind that where you spin and you see all these images go. It was an old movie. And it was it was not doing my whole life. It was a short portion of my life, about one hour of my life. Oh my gosh. I'm 11 years old. It's 1961. I'm in a, a place called Cedar Crest, a mountain camp up in Southern California. And I was listening to some preacher at some Christian camp talk about Jesus and that he was the Messiah and that he fulfilled all of the prophecies by him coming. But it didn't stop there. He fulfilled the prophecies because he shed his blood for the forgiveness of, of mankind for anyone who would uh, believe. And not only that, he... He was killed, of course, but he rose from the dead. He's alive with heaven. And if you believe that, then you invite him to come and take the controls of your life. At age 11, I'm watching this little movie that I had done that. And I was kneeling with this pastor. I have no idea who he was, even to this day. And then all of a sudden, the 
review of my life in this little movie ended. It didn't take very long, but I realized, okay, the reason I'm alive right now, because I'm clearly alive, even though I'm out of my body, there's something happening down there. They're giving me shock, you know, the, the paddles and all that's going on. And um, I'm clearly alive, uh, but I realized that I became a Christian at age 11 and somehow lost my way in the last eight years of my life. Got so selfish, got so self-absorbed. I wasn't a bad kid. I was a prankster, all right, but uh, I was not a bad guy and I, I didn't really like to hurt people. I just was so self-centered. I, I can't describe that enough. I was selfish, self-centered, lived for me, and that's all that mattered. Me, 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 me. <laughs> and at this moment, I realized that I had fallen away from this relationship with Jesus, and I meant it when I was 11. I really did. I was serious. I wanted to follow God. I wanted to be good and 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 do everything right, but I didn't do so well. And then I realized that I had turned, I didn't reject him. I still believed him. I didn't reject that there was a God. I never rejected Jesus was the son of God. I never rejected that he was the Messiah. I kept believing. I never stopped believing. But I was still pretty darn self-absorbed. Right about that time, they're still working on my body. I all began to realize that I started moving out of the hospital, out of the uh, emergency room. And I was moving backwards, watching everything get smaller as I moved further and further away and now out of the room. And I couldn't control this. I couldn't steer it. I had no idea what was happening or why. And then I started moving down the corridor. And before a matter of seconds, I was out of the hospital. It was no longer daytime. I was now in deep, what we would call now uh, deep space. But if you go back to 1969, there was no movie called Star Trek. I don't think I ever saw anything to do with so many things we see today. But but this happened to me, and I was in uh, a state where my spirit and my soul were traveling throughout what looked like, I would now call it deep outer space. And while I was traveling, all of these lights, these small little spheres, like uh, what's in your backdrop, as I look at your backdrop there, uh, that's very attractive, by the way, but those little spheres were coming at me uh, about half the speed of light. Uh, and I wondered for years what that was. Now I think I know. I, I think those were angels that were coming from heaven, that were going tra transitioning from heaven, that were coming to earth. And I was passing them, not planets, not planets, but angels. About that time, I realized that uh, I was being accompanied by two angelic beings. Now, how do I explain this? Without looking behind me, I could see the bronze look, the, this unbelievable, like golden hair. They were wearing 
garments of like robes that were beautiful white but woven with silver threads throughout and and i'm i'm looking at these people as i'm looking straight ahead because i'm mesmerized by the big light well it started out light but it's so bright and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and i've had a lot of people uh, ask me what the light was like and i tried the best and then one day somebody this is after youtube uh came on board someday said look at this dale and when i saw it i couldn't breathe because because it was the perfect explanation of what i saw when i left the hospital and i was traveling toward what now i realized was heaven the city of god in case anybody's interested there's a video called the czar bomb okay the biggest bomb that's ever been apparently uh, exploded uh, up near the kerosene in, in northern russia and the soviets uh, exploded this i think i don't remember 1955 something like that but when i saw this explosion taken from the footage of an aircraft far far away for about a half of a second i could say if you could back the video up and play it right there, right there. There's this, no sound, just this bright light. And if you could just freeze it, and right at the center is brilliant, hot, thick, white light. That's what it was like where I was going. And the further you get from the center of that white light, it starts turning a little bit yellow, yellower, gold gold deep rich gold but right in the middle is this hot bright light and then it's gold all around and i have i probably watched that video not that i enjoy explosions but i love to look at that light because it reminds me really of what it's like to go to heaven <laughs> at least from my experience and we have this bright white light i've now called it in the book uh, visiting heaven i've called it the the city of gold and even though the light at the center is all white all of the colors in the rainbow come from that white light and the further away it gets it becomes nothing but pure deep rich gold so that that's the crash itself uh both pilots were killed i alone survived um they didn't think i would live i had the same brain trauma as the other two pilots and it was the trauma of the brain that was called a blunt trauma that crashed into the monument and we all went through the same speed the same monument we all hit it together and uh uh I was in a coma for three days, and I can tell you about what happened during the three days, I think, but it is in the book Visiting Heaven. But what changed my life, in a sense, uh, was the moment I woke up. at On the morning of the fourth day, uh, my eyes seemed to open. And the way I describe it, 
is 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 probably the it was like I used to live in a black and white two-dimensional world, and all of a sudden, when I woke up from the coma, it was like uh, the world is in color, but it's also in about seven or nine or ten dimensions. Well, so many dimensions, it's not even safe to say four dimensions. That wouldn't be accurate. It's in multiple dimensions, and I don't even understand that. But it was like somebody had put 3D glasses on my eyes, and all of a sudden I could see the world as it truly is from God's perspective. And the first words I'm told that I said was, my nurse said this, uh, what happened to my eyes? What happened to my eyes? Well... Uh, they went and got the doctor, and the doctor came, and and I said, "What happened to my eyes?" And and I didn't know the doctor. We became personal friends later, good, well, personal friends for the rest of his life. But at this moment, I just said, "What happened to my eyes?" Well, my right eye had been cut really badly, and they actually told my parents that uh, when I was in the coma, it would be best that they just remove the eye because the recovery is so. Uh, the 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 chances of him ever being able to see out of it are just like 10%. But my dad said, no, put it back in there. Just put that eye back in there. We'll see what God will do. That's my dad. Anyway, I'm looking out at the doctor and the nurse saying, what happened to my eyes? What happened to my eyes? And they're thinking that I'm hallucinating. They're thinking that I'm, because my right eye has been stitched, surgically closed, there's bandages all over it, but I didn't know that. I looked like, I felt like I was looking out of that eye that had been completely enhanced. And I could see out of two brand new eyes with multiple dimensions and multiple colors. And I'm trying to describe that to them. And they think <laughs> that I'm hallucinating with all, with drugs or who, whatever. Anyway, the next thing I said do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? I mean, Jeff, this was not like me. <laughs> I was a pilot. I cared about the way I looked. I cared about athletics. I cared about money back then. I cared about success. Um, I'm not saying that I didn't believe in Jesus. I did. I knew that Jesus was the way to God. I knew that. I had learned that. I had a Bible. I knew a little bit about it, and I believed it. That's the main thing. I believed it, that it was true. And yet, uh, here I am just hollering, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And uh I'm looking out the window later after the doctor and nurse, and I'm watching the cars go by, and I'm praying for whoever's driving that car. Oh my gosh, they gotta know Jesus. They gotta know Jesus is the only way to God. He's the only way to heaven. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, there's such a mission. There's such a mission. Nobody knows about Jesus. They they know about the name. He's a cuss name, <laughs> swear word for some. But in reality, he is the pivotal part of life on this earth. 
Are you for him? Are you against him? It all depends. Everything hinges right there on the name of Jesus. And I'm not a preacher. I'm a pilot. I'm a businessman. But I, we do have a nonprofit organization. But uh, I firmly believe now, uh, and it's not changed since I was 11, that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's coming again. You know, the Bible, there's one of the great verses that come out of the Bible. Jesus said it himself. He said that God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him would be saved. When he came to earth, he didn't come to condemn or criticize. He came to be a sacrifice for our sins, and that through him, having paid the penalty for our sins, makes us, if we believe, have right standing with God. Now, he's going to come back again. Jesus is coming back again. You know what? You may think I'm crazy, but I'm not crazy. I believe that even at my age, I believe I'm going to see the return of Jesus. I think we're in the last of the last days and that I'll live a normal lifespan and I will see the return of Jesus. Now, I've never said that until the last three years when lots of time spent with God and him uh, pounding on my heart and having me say, Dale, is, is two and two four? Yeah. Is four and four eight? Yeah. Well, then you see this? Uh-huh. You see that? Uh-huh. Doesn't that make sense that this is the last generation? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I think that most of the audience that is listening to you, Jeff, and you've got a great uh, reach. I mean, it's incredible what you do with your life, and I salute you for it. But I think if your audience is like our small little audience, most people think they have all time, all kinds of time to get right with God, that they'll do it later. And, and I'm here to say that my friend Chuck, he wanted to get right with God eventually, and he didn't have time. And the other guy, Gene, he didn't have time. Nobody expected that day to have a crash and to die. And there was no time to make decisions that we were trying to fight for survival. There was no time to do the foxhole, foxhole prayers that even some soldiers are able to do. And that's a lot the way life is. We have today. Today is the time to learn about Jesus. And the best way to do that is not go listen to some preacher. This is my opinion again. Not go turn on YouTube and watch some preacher. No, get your own little Bible. Make it a red letter edition. It's pretty easy to get these days. A red letter edition. And just read what Jesus said. It's really pretty simple. You can do it in a few hours. Read what Jesus said and make your own decision. Is this guy a lunatic or was it really the son of God? And I think that most of your audience, most of the people I uh, have suggested this to over the many, many years that have done this experience realize, oh my gosh, nobody could say those things. It had to be God. It had to be the son of God. And so that's my challenge to anybody that I come into contact with. I uh, was in the hospital, broke, woke up from the coma. My life completely changed, full of joy, 
full of happiness, full of concern for others, full of love. It wasn't love for me, I'll guarantee, I'll guarantee you that. It was love from God to me, through me, and it poured out to others. And that's what God's love does. If you know, We need a lot of his love for us. But when we get an, an, an overflow of it, then we can, you know, share it with other people. But there I was in the hospital. Uh, both legs had been broken badly. Both knees had been broken. My left ankle was destroyed. My right ankle broken as, as well. My back broken in multiple places. My left shoulder had just exploded upon impact with either the monument or the ground, who knows what. And it sent bone to my back, my chest, up under my neck. They removed a lot of the bone, put the back the best they could. But they had to remove some bone and almost all of the muscles and ligaments. And uh, I had several cuts. I had a big cut right down through my right eye, slashed it basically in half. They stitched it together. I've had five, five plastic surgeries, a concussion. We were burned from head to foot. But... Thank God it was not, it was chemical burns, not fire burns. Uh, it was a miracle that there was no fire, a miracle. If you talk to the Burbank police, uh, fire department rather, they're going to take credit for the fact that they quenched the fire before it ignited. And it's not true. It's <laughs> not true. There was 11 minutes between the time we were drenched in fuel and yeah, hot engines everywhere. And there was no fire. And they, they did come there 11 minutes later and, and douse it with fire retardant. But there was never a fire. I can't explain that other than a miracle for God. But anyway, I was broken up, beaten up, given no hope that I would ever walk again, given no hope that I would ever remember that, because I couldn't remember half of my life. Half of my life was gone. And to fast forward, even a year later, I, I couldn't remember I was a licensed pilot. I couldn't remember what flaps were. I couldn't remember anything about a stabilizer trim. I don't, I'd lost uh, almost all of my memory about the details of aviation. So I went back and redid everything. I go to my high school reunion. I can remember 10% of the people one year, 20% the next year, 30%. And now, now it's our 55th year high school reunion. And uh, I'm asked to speak and I'm asked to uh, pray for the uh, our class. Uh, and, and it's just a great honor. But uh, I'm still piecing together my past, even to this day. But uh, I landed in heaven at, after, during the coma. Okay, so I, I kind of told you maybe out of sequence, it's up to you how you want to proceed with this. But I... I when I when I got away from the angels and I started gliding and descending and decelerating into heaven a little bit like an airplane on landing, uh, we came into a green countryside that was more beautiful than could be described. I don't have very good words. Uh, I have time. I can write better than I can speak, you know, uh, but I work hard at it. I don't write fast. I go real slow. And I and I am able to, with the help of my wife, we're able to put the words together well in print. So it's 
it's written well in the book Visiting Heaven, but it's real colorful and real full of life. And then there's music. That's a that's an experience all in and of itself. I'm no musician, but music has changed from that very moment. And within a matter of, I'd say, a few moments, I realized that heaven had three things that controlled it, that were predominant. And, and it didn't seem like much. Uh, until I woke up from the coma and started thinking about it. And then I realized how profound it is. In heaven, there's life. Well, the cool about cool thing about that is there's no death. There's life. There's no sickness. There's, there's life in heaven. And there's no sickness and no death. Nothing dies. The plants don't die. The animals don't die. There is no death. There's only life. And in heaven, there's light, and there's light beams that come from the centers of the city, which is obviously God. Everybody knows that. Nobody has to talk about it. The light is God. And the light moves. You know, on earth, I'm aware of light, light moving straight line. It doesn't bend. Um, I know they talk about light bending in space by gravity. I think it does. But what I believe that I saw was light that swayed and moved and 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 went with the music. And I, I know light's not supposed to do that, but that was my experience. But see, there's light in heaven. It's coming from the source. The source is God, not Jesus. The source is God. Jesus is the Son of God. And he's part of the triune being. There's God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. We, 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 most of us, if we grew up in some religious training, we learn that God is triune. Not everybody believes that, but I do. I sure do now. Um, and in heaven, there's this light. There's life. By the by, the way. There's no darkness. There's there's no there's nothing evil or or shadows to hide behind. It's everything's out in the open. So there's light and there's life. And then there's a third quality. There's love. Everything that comes from the light. I could feel going through my the cells of my being and it was full of love and the light beams that come from god touch literally everything they go through literally everything and they fill that cell if i could say that with love with life and of course it's coming from the light it's strange. I didn't make this up. At least, you know, I don't think I'm trying to have anybody believe my story. I'm really, I, I, I gave that up 50 some years ago. Well, if a person believes my story, that's fine. It doesn't matter. The fact is, this changed me. And I realized that God is a triune being 
and I'm in heaven without even understanding what's going on. And I realize that there's light and life and love. And all these years later, it all boils down to those three things, those three qualities that all come from God. And, you know, earth was created by God, the same God that created heaven. He's the same God that created mankind in its original, in his original form. And he created earth and it was good at the beginning as original. It was wonderful. It was good, full of light and life and love right here on the earth. And then sin came into mankind. Satan was thrown out of heaven, a long story. I'm no theologian, by the way, but this is what the Bible says, that Satan was cast out of heaven, came down to earth, and he became the God, small g, if I may emphasize that. He became the God of this world, but it's still our God's earth. Satan, he runs the world. But the earth is God's, and it's his footstool. So I learned, a, I learned a lot about God. I learned that he's real. I believe that heaven's real. I had an experience with, uh, with hell for a, for a moment. Uh, it changed me. And I guess um, my whole life, Jeff, in, in a sense, can be summed up with this event, um, which I've not monetized. I've not tried to gain any fame or, or royalties from books. I've just tried to tell the story when asked because I believe that I'm alive because it's a gift from God and that anything that ever would happen from my boys, I would hope, would reflect that God is a God of love and it, he loves everybody. And yet there is a decision to be made, in my understanding, about who Jesus is. Is he truly the son of God? Is he just a prophet? Is he a good man, a teacher, but he's not really God? Maybe he's a lunatic. And that is why, again, I say, learn about Jesus yourself, read the red letters of a good Bible and find out what he said, what he did, and make your own decision. And it takes a couple of hours to do that. Probably the best two to three or four hours of anyone's life. Who is Jesus? What did he do? What does it mean to believe in him? What does it mean to reject in him? Just to reject him. And that's kind of my life's mission. Not everybody agrees with me, uh, but a lot of people do. And I've been able to uh, help thousands, tens of thousands of people find the real Jesus, and to have uh, a, a future in heaven because of the fact that they believe that Jesus was the Son of God and that he did die for our sins and that by leaving, we are saved. That's what the Bible says anyway. There's a lot more in, in the book of uh, Visiting Heaven, and I'm sure that I did not... Uh, speak as eloquently as you'd hoped, but I, I do enjoy answering questions if you have any questions. Dale, you are amazing, and thank you for sharing your extraordinary experience with us. At the time of impact, did you feel any pain? 
excellent question. Not in the least. Not at all. And I, and even to this day, I don't remember any pain at impact or by hovering over the body of the three bodies. I didn't remember it at all. On the other hand, I didn't tell you, and I will now, it is in the book Visiting Heaven, but I didn't uh, get into that detail. When I was chasing the ambulance from outside of my body, there was a moment where I really did go back into my body, and the pain was excruciating then. I do remember that still. And the, the pain was such to where it, it was hard to breathe, hard to think, and I actually remember asking God, please, I mean, just take me home, get me, get me out of the pain. And uh, part of that is, you know, there was no pain medication uh, in the ambulance. They're just trying to have you survive. And they, they didn't know I was in pain. They looked like I was dead. They were just trying to keep me alive. But later, yeah, um, later, <laughs> when I woke up uh, three days later, yeah, without the pain medication, it I could feel every, oh my gosh, every joint in my body. It hurt a lot. It's amazing because I've had quite a few near-death experiencers that at the time of something traumatic like happened to you, they never experience it. Yeah, I, I've even talked to people that have been in airplane crashes and uh soldiers that have been shot and almost killed and there is some i i think uh jeff i think it's a a god-given gift that the pain can get blocked uh, i don't know about you but i've watched the animal kingdom and i've watched certain animals getting destroyed by another animal and i've and i've i've watched what god created and and it's and it's interesting. And there's obviously this instinct to live, but then there comes a point where you realize you're not going to live. And there's something that I think kicks in, maybe shock. I'm I'm not a medical uh, guy, but uh, I I know some that are, and they believe that there there is a gift that God gives in the most traumatic time that the pain is blocked in the from the getting to the brain. Have you ever considered over the years, while you were outside of your body, why you didn't see the other two guys as spirits hanging around too? Of course, I've thought about it a lot. And I and, and Jeff, the question is an excellent one, like I expected from you, because you're a smart guy. But I don't know. I think I think when we meet God, I think it's a very individual experience. I even think that I've I spent a whole lifetime uh, investigating airplane crashes. I I tried my best to analyze what went wrong, bring it back to the training departments of the airlines, and try to make sure that that, that never happens again. And uh, many times there are hundreds of people to die all at one time. And I actually think that when a person who's been in an airplane crash and there's everybody around that has died as well, that they too are an individual and they go to eternity alone. 
And of course, when you get uh, to heaven, it's anything but alone. There's, it's, there's unity and there's love and it's beautiful. It's wonderful. But I think it's a one-on-one -on -one experience. Uh, w would I argue with somebody on that? No, I would not. In fact, I wouldn't argue at all if someone believed something differently. But that that's my belief. And again, your question is extremely uh, good, thorough. Thank you. Have you ever considered over the years, why me? Like, why did I survive and the other two didn't? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I sure did. And uh, I, I will I will say that I've felt extremely uh, unworthy to survive. I, I felt like Chuck should have lived and I shouldn't. Uh, I felt guilty, survivor's guilt, they called it later. They even had classes uh, for it now. I didn't have them when I was younger. Survivor's guilt, I never heard of post-traumatic stress syndrome, never heard of it, and I uh, had none of that training, just mean God. <laughs> and you know what? That's the best thing. That was the best thing. I had to, I turned to God for everything. Uh, after the crash, I turned to him for everything. And he was my closest friend, still is. And now when I get into a situation, I get in my car, I go into the mountains, and it's me and God all of all of him, just the two of us. Well, okay. I usually take my dog. <laughs> I take my border collie as well. But yeah, it's um, me and God. Why me? I've got an answer. It's probably going to frustrate some of your listeners, but it's still what I really believe is true. My grandparents loved me, and they prayed for me every day. They got up every day. They had what they called devotions, and they prayed for me and some of my siblings, and they prayed for us by name. I grew up watching them do that. I'm in four years, five years old, six years old, all the way up. My grandparents prayed for my protection. They prayed that God would bless me this day. And I believe that there's accumulation of benefits that occurred on my behalf because of the prayers of my grandparents. There were others praying for me too. But I think that that's really what it was. I don't think that that I was singled out, I was special, I had a special mission. I think a lot of people have a special mission, but but I believe that God answered the prayers of my of my grandparents and my parents and gave me another chance. And then here's what God's a specialist at. And this is part of the answer to your question. I believe that God turns something that Satan meant for evil and God can turn it into something good. And uh, that's exactly what happened in my case. I was meant to be killed, and I was spared. There was no fire. There was a miracle. I was able to walk again, use my eye again. I was able to use my arms again well enough to pass an FAA physical. I mean, it's just a little series of miracles that are written uh, in detail in the book of, of Visiting Heaven, even how I got my eyesight back, using a combination of miracles from God and a lot of effort and practical training about how to strengthen an in injured eye. And it helps a lot of people uh, with their vision, even today. So 
The doctor said I would never walk again. Of course not. Never see again. Never use my arms. Never, <laughs> never going to fly again because how could I? I can't walk. I can't even remember. And they were still not sure what internal injuries were going to surface. And they weren't sure how much damage the brain experienced. They were going to just have to wait and see. But God answers prayer. And I learned in a wheelchair, in one eye, this changed my life. I learned that the entire world, the whole universe, is structured on the word of God. It's the whole, the whole system that we live in. Everything, space, gravity, light, all of this, the structure is the word of God. That's what holds it all together. And so I got, as a 19-year-old with one eye and in a wheelchair and one arm, one leg, <laughs> I had a Bible. And I started reading with that one eye, and I started realizing that this word is the power, it's the life, it's the light, it's the love. It is the solution to every one of my problems. And it, it is true. I say that now 55 years later, as a 19-year-old, I found that out. It's true, and it's never failed me. God's word is its supernatural. It's not like a book. It's, it's This is a book. It's got letters on it. That's a book. God's word looks like a book. If you treat it like a book, it'll act like a book. But if you start to open your heart, when you read God's word, yeah, use your eyes, use your brain, speak it out loud if you want to, but open your heart. See, that's the spirit. That's The Bible calls you, you and I are spirit beings, and the spirit and the heart are the same. We see in the Bible, that word is used interchangeably, you know, the heart of a man. That's the spirit of a person. But if you'll open your heart when you read God's word, when you quote God's word, when you deal with God's holy word, it is supernatural. And I think a lot of your audience knows what supernatural things are. Well, I didn't back then, but I do now. I know there's Satan has a lot of force and a lot of power, and he's supernatural. But God's power is stronger. God's power is better. It's always for good. His is for death, for evil, for deception, for destruction. And God's just the opposite. It's for good, for our good, for, for the good of mankind. And again, it brings life, light, and love into this world. God's word is supernatural. Yeah. Did I uh, deserve to live? No. Was I gifted to live because of uh, something that I was going to do in the future? I don't think that's why I lived. I think I lived because God answered prayer for my parents and grandparents. And then God turned something evil into good because I asked him to. And I gave him authority too. And I gave him the controls of my life. And so anything good that comes out of it is because of God.
What's amazing about your life is not only did you survive the crash and had an NDE, but that you went on to still have a career in being a pilot. No kidding. And I did work hard. I did. I worked hard. I was a driver, a pusher. And and if I had just sat in that wheelchair and waited for God to do his miracles, I'd still be in the wheelchair. But when I when I tell you that I got the one eye and, and the one arm and the one leg with the Bible, I began to realize what faith is. Faith is really important. Jesus said, have faith in God. For whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will come to pass, he will have whatever he says. Then Jesus went on to say, therefore, whatever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and then you will have them. See, I had it all backwards. I thought I thought that seeing is believing, but according to God, his supernatural word, it's the reverse. You believe it, then you'll see it. So yeah, I couldn't walk, but I believed that I was going to. And I then I stopped praying. I started realizing, wait a minute, if I'm going to pray in faith that I'm going to be able to walk someday, I can't be praying, God, please heal me. God, please heal No, I got to start asking God differently. I got to say, thank you, God, that I'm going to walk someday. Because your Bible says, whatever we ask in faith, believing that we're going to receive, that we're going to get, we're going to believe that first. So I started thanking God. And I began to realize this is how he works. The currency in heaven is faith. That's the currency down the earth. What is it? Money. <laughs> we got to have air down here. We got to have blood in our veins and we got to have money. <laughs> but in heaven, we have to have faith. It's faith that God used the spoken word. Faith in the spoken word that came from God is why the universe is still expanding and is still accelerating as it's expanding. God's spoken word said, let there be, and there was, and boom, was, the scientists say, they call it the Big Bang Theory. Okay, God spoke with faith in his heart. We cannot please God without faith, and yet I don't hardly hear any preachers at church talking about faith, and I know that I didn't hear it when I was going to church for, right after the airplane crash. I had to learn it on my own. Well, welcome to the club. Yeah, we have got to put faith into action. We've got to learn what God, how he works. And without faith, boy, it's impossible to please him. Well, also, most people would have developed most likely some type of PTSD just due to being in a plane crash and would probably never want to step inside a plane ever again. Yeah, I uh, I almost blacked out the first time I got back in an airplane. I had a, I was in a wheelchair and snuck out and had a pilot, uh, a very experienced test pilot, uh, take me on an airplane. But I I was emotionally 
just out of it. I thought I could fly. I couldn't remember. I thought I could be, you know, really tough and and fly over this monument. My first flight was over that monument uh, where the crash occurred. Um, but I, I kind of lost it, you know. I, I just had no no understanding of how badly I was traumatized. And then I began to realize, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to deal now with this trauma. Uh, so I, I dealt with that, but I did the same thing. I went to God and I said, I'm afraid. I have got nothing but fear. So I looked up in my Bible. What does the Bible say about fear? Oh, God does not give us the spirit of fear, but of power and of strength and of a sound mind. Okay. So I started learning scriptures and speaking them out my mouth. They would go through my ear and get down into my heart, my spirit, and whatever was weak, slowly, gradually became strong. Now, this is the way to get over PTS. This is the way to get out of a wheelchair. This is the way to get your eye back. And it's the way to get basically pretty much anything that we want. If we pray for it and we believe that God is going to bring it our way, it, it's going to happen. <laughs> and now I, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of, uh, qualifications that have to be said right but but what i'm trying to say to you sir is that god's word is absolutely unchangeable it cannot be changed and it's true and if we believe something and it gets into our heart and we don't have doubt it's going to come to pass and i can see and i can walk and i flew for 40 years and i did reach most of my goal, goals that I wanted to. I, I I couldn't lie and still please God. So there was things that I couldn't do on a medical. So I was put into the training department. And that was great because that's where I, I flourished. I loved it. I loved to train. And I found, found out that that was more enjoyable than flying. But I got to fly as well. I owned a company, by the way. And we were in Hollywood. So we, most of our clients are movie stars that you would know their name of, move, uh, musicians, producers, some CEOs of big corporations. Many of our clients were well, well known. And we had an impact with a lot of pe people that went on to make impacts with their own lives, too. It's been a wonderful, wonderful uh, glory to God life. You mentioned that you heard music in heaven. Can you describe for us what it sounded like? The music in heaven uh, was beyond anything I had ever heard, of course. I mean, that's that's an understatement to the millionth degree to power, about 100 to times 10 or something. But the music is instrumentals and in, instrumentals and vocals. And, and, and I'm not a musician, so I've had some people that have written to me, and I've answered their questions, but they're, hey, I'm a philharmonic orchestra leader, and I read your book, and I'd like to ask you some questions. And they ask questions that are way over my head, you know, details about music and, and theory, and I don't understand that. So I write back and say, let me tell you what I can tell you, and that is the octaves. I mean, you have an an octave, 
you have a range. And then it goes higher below middle C and above middle C. And I say, I think I, I'm not an expert, but I would say that the range went 50 octaves above and below middle C. So right there, I mean, you're hearing only what dogs can hear on the earth. And I don't know how to explain that. And then I guess music has a vibrato to it. And part of what's wonderful about a vocal group that sings is that not everybody is on the exact same pitch. Uh, they're just a nano degree off. And it kind of makes a vocal group, a choir, for example, it sounds real good, sounds real full. They're real close, but not exact. And I believe in heaven, it could be exact, that everybody could be at exactly the same pitch in ex exactly the same note. And then there's harmony. I don't understand harmony. I'm not, again, a musician. But I think I know a little bit that there's like three-part harmony. I've been told by others that there's a four-part harmony. And my mom loves music. She says, oh, there's a five-part. Watch this band. They'll sing five-part harmony. Well, I don't understand that. But if you can make harmony perfect, there's not one imperfection that would be more of like what I would describe in heaven. The pitch, the tone, the range, the vibrato, um, the harmony, and then the blend of instrumentation was such to where when I would hear it, what I got out of it, and this is this is where I'm sure I lost the, the orchestra leader for the Philharmonic. I lost them, I'm sure of it, because I tried to say that with all of that, that you understand, it's all about something that now only I understand from my perspective. It's all about unity. The music was unifying. It brought everybody together. And it was like we were all fused in a oneness. All these cells are fused together in oneness that there's one God <laughs> and that there's one focus of our all of our lives and that is God that that we're all part of this family but our God is the leader and Jesus is our Lord and it's because of Jesus we're here oh my gosh it's not about performing look at me listen to me uh it's it's about being a part of one being a part of a one musical expression that honors and glorifies God. It's impossible to describe. And someone else asked me, uh, Jeff, have you ever experienced it on earth? The, 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 the quick answer is no, not on earth. However, there's a, there's a little thing that should be said years and years ago. I would say in the 70s, I was in a meeting where there were several thousand people and it was conducted in a way where 
God was not just for the meeting. He was in the meeting. Now, a lot of churches, I drive by my car, and God is for the church, but he's not in the church. And I've been into a lot of meetings where God is for the meeting and what we're doing, but he's not in there. And then there was a couple of times where God came in, and he was in the meeting. And I'll tell you, there's some telltale signs when you know, first of all, the meeting is established in order to glorify God, not self. Secondly, no one is trying to bring glory to self, only to God. And nobody's trying to perform to say, look at me, listen to me, watch me, watch this. I'm going to impress you. Those melt away. Even though many people bring those things into the meeting, when God's presence descends, most people realize, oh my gosh, this isn't normal. This is supernatural. God is here. And then there's another criteria. Some one leader, could be a male, could be a female, knows God, knows the Spirit of God, and that one leader ushers in and develops the presence of God's Holy Spirit in that meeting. And that meeting then can be an unbelievable experience. I say unbelievable because I'm trying to describe it in a human word. But that's where I've seen and heard and felt and experienced music that was just like in heaven, except without the octaves. But we were limited. But it was the unity and the love and the life and the light right here on earth. Maybe six, seven, eight times in my entire life I've experienced that. It's very rare. But it tells me that God wants to inhabit his people. And if we can, if we can get out of the way, get out, surrender ourselves and open ourselves up for God's presence, he would love to descend into a building. It doesn't have to be a church. It can be wherever we invite God in and where he's going to rule and reign. And uh most of the events I've mentioned to you six, seven, eight times, they were in auditoriums and they weren't in, not in a church. Do you still experience the world in multiple dimensions like you did from waking up from your coma? Oh, gosh. I love your questions because I get to answer them my natural way. You're smart and you're wise. I like this. Yes and no. Yes and no. Yes. If I'm my natural self, and if I'm connected with God, absolutely, I can experience the dimensions that are in the spirit, almost as if God's in the same room with me. His spirit is in the same room. And I can go down below and see what's going on in the world. That is not visible to other people. I can go down a notch, two, three, four. You can't talk about that down there. Nobody really would. Nobody, even Jesus had trouble. Uh, he didn't 
he didn't talk about it. Nobody could, nobody can really handle uh, that much truth about what's really going on. But yeah, I see it. I experienced it. And there's a lot of heartache that comes with it too. And not, not to say it's all uh, fun and games because it is not. And then I can lose it. If I get, if I can, if I get real busy and I don't pray a lot and I get stressed and I'm in the middle of something for a month or two, and a big project or something really bad keeps happening and, and I don't discipline myself, you know, I'm, uh, I'm admitting my failure here. It's not God's failure. It's my failure in my humanness. I've noticed myself do this and I get to where my whole world starts coming down smaller and smaller and smaller. And I'm literally living in my tiny little world of the flesh. And I can lose that vision by getting too self-centered, too self-absorbed. And the way to fix that is to take my dog <laughs> out to the mountains and then I fast and pray. And I always ask God to forgive me that I got too, uh, too bothered, too worried, too something, and I got off track. And so I go back through repentance and uh, I'll have to spend three days. I've gone as many as a month if I had to, to get completely back what I call, I say this to my wife, I, I'm back now in the spirit. That means I I still live in a fleshly body, but I'm being dominated by my spirit. I'm not being dominated by my flesh. So yeah, it can, it can happen both ways. But the ideal is to live my life every day, surrender to God, dominant in my spirit, of course, I'm in my body still, but my 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 spirit dominates my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, and my body is dominated by my spirit. And that's how we're supposed to live. And when I live that way, then I have the multi-dimensions. Like it or not, if I like it or not. And it's it is uh these days. It's these days, uh, it has more heartache than joy. Dale, if you had a friend that was grieving over the passing of a loved one, what kind of advice would you give? I don't make friends by giving the truth. The truth is the hardest thing for people to swallow. Um, the truth is the enemy of most people. They don't want the truth. I understand that. I don't, I don't have a choice, though. When you ask me a question, you're going to get the truth from me. And part of the reason that I don't make money in the ministry, uh, hardly, is because I keep speaking the truth. And the truth does not sell well. The fact of the matter is, if your loved one knew Jesus Christ 
and had believed in his sin penalty, believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and that he had he or she had had that right relationship with God through Jesus, there is not any worry. In fact, it is a great thing that your loved one may have passed on uh, because they are forever eternally in heaven. So they wouldn't come back if they wanted to. So if, you're, if your loved one is right with God and they have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ because he's the only way to have a right relationship, that doesn't make me a lot of friends. But Jesus said, if you know me, you'll know the Father. If you don't know me, you will not know the Father. There's no way around Jesus. Everybody wants to talk like that. You don't have to have Jesus. There's many ways to heaven. There are not many ways to heaven. There is a way, and that way is what Jesus said. I am the way. This is Jesus talking. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the yea or nay of whether we live with God in heaven or we don't. So if your loved one had the right relationship with God, it doesn't matter whether they went to church or not, a lot. I mean, it's, I guess, good that you do, I guess, usually, but that doesn't get a person to heaven. It's having a relationship with God through Jesus, that you believe in Jesus, that he died, rose again, is coming again, you basically understand what the gospel is. If you believe that, you can be uh, all kinds of background, but those people are going to heaven, according to the Bible. The flip side of that is, well, what if they were a good person, but they didn't do anything with Jesus? They weren't bad. They weren't mean. They just didn't do anything. They didn't invite him into their life, his their life. Well, I'm afraid to say that the Bible's clear. Jesus said this, and he's the one I follow. I don't follow my own ideas. I follow what Jesus taught, and I've learned a lot. For a for a pilot, I think I've learned a lot um, about this. But if we have rejected him, he says he will reject us before the Father. If we do not confess him before men, he will not confess us before the Father. So uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So if you're not sure your loved one is in heaven, make sure that you're going to heaven. When you're in heaven, there's no sadness and no sorrow. And a lot of people say, well, how can that be? Uh, I can only say I, I, I believe the Bible, and there is no sickness, no sorrow, or, or sadness in heaven. And I think that can only be that certain parts of our past is got to be eliminated, erased. I, I, I could be wrong on that, because the Bible doesn't say that. But the Bible does say there's no sickness, no sorrow, no sadness. But it also says 
that if you don't receive Jesus on this earth, that there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And somebody said in the Bible, Jesus used this as an example. And he said, Jesus, go and send Lazarus in this parable to my to my loved ones, because in the parable he had died. And uh, go and tell them that you know there's only one way to heaven, it's through Jesus Christ. And 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 the in the parable it says, I'm not going to send back anybody from the dead because if they didn't believe it when they were alive, they're not going to believe it if somebody even comes back from the dead. We have to make our decision pretty much today. Is Jesus the Son of God? If he is, then put him in your life. I, I say it as a pilot. You know, we have the flight controls, and a lot of times a pilot, the captain, will give the flying airplane over to the first officer or the co-pilot. So there's an important series of words that have to be said in order to transfer the authority from the airplane, from the captain to the first officer. And you say, you've got the airplane. And then they have to say it out loud. So it's on the voice recorder. I've got the aircraft. That has to be said. Because if not, who's flying? And then if the co-pilot says it's your turn, then say, okay, I've got the aircraft. I have the controls. Well, I say that to say this. We control our own life. And the way to have eternal life and peace on this earth is to give the controls of our life over to Jesus Christ. And I have to do that on a regular basis. Lord, you've got the controls. You got the aircraft. I, I, my body, my mind, in a sense, is the aircraft. So we have to surrender uh, our life over to the Lord Jesus. And by doing so, oh my gosh, one might think that you're going to give up and you're not going to have control anymore. <laughs> the great thing is, if if you hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you let go of your life, you're going to find it. And that's, again, the teachings of Jesus. Surrender your life. You'll be happier. You'll be eternally secure. You're going to heaven for sure. And God wants to bless. He doesn't want to take, steal, hurt. None of that comes from God. That comes from the enemy. We have an enemy. And he's just, he's just as real as God. In the end, he loses big. But right now, it looks like Satan is really gaining uh, an upper hand on this earth, on this world, I should say. But anyway, to answer your question, the truth is not everybody's going to heaven. The truth is there's one way to heaven. It's Jesus. The truth is make sure you make your decision sooner, not later. You don't know if you're going to live tomorrow. You don't know if you're going to have some disease or some virus or some accident that could take your life before you expect it. So make your decision quickly. Do it quickly. Do it today before the sun goes down. Just say a simple prayer. It's like, God, I believe Jesus is your son. He's the Messiah. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Take over the controls of my life. Thank you. Amen. It's simple. And then get a Bible and start reading it and watch it. Oh, my gosh. It's it's like getting healthy food into your cells of your physical body. The Bible 
is your spiritual food. And without it, you will die of, of uh, starvation, spiritual starvation. So the way to get revived is to read God's word. You know, not, it doesn't have to be religiously, but, but use your mind and open your heart. And you'll find out that this little pilot named Dale Black was right about one thing. God's word is living and God himself is alive. Heaven is real. And the word of God, those, those, uh, that print on the paper is literally supernatural and it will come alive in your spiritual life. And so use the pain of a death of a loved one to get right with God today. Dale, after watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that? And if so, how should they reach you? Yeah, the, the, the best way to do that, yes, open, yes, you absolutely. But go to daleblack.org. We have a website, uh, and, and there we have over 800 videos at least. Uh, there's newsletters. We have books available, and we have a lot of uh, information about God and his ways on that. And, and there's a way to connect there. On the connect, there's a contact there. There's also a uh, an email address that's on that uh, contact page. And so they can email, they can write uh, letters if they wish. Uh, some of the older people would normally do that. And we do the best we can to answer every one of them. You know, we're not paid, we're not on staff, but we do uh, we do our very best to be responsible before God to try to answer as many people as we can. You also have a YouTube channel. What's the name of that? Uh, it's called Dale Black Ministries. Dale Black Ministries, yeah. All right. And your book is called Visiting Heaven, Life Without Limitations. If people want to learn more about it, where do they go? Well, they can go to our website, uh, uh, daleblack.org, and it'll be available there within a matter of time. But most of the people are being directed to go to Amazon.com to purchase the book there. So it's uh, I am I, am I able to just hold it up here for a second? Is sure. That okay with you you got to hold it up a little higher. We can't see it all. Okay, sure. okay. Yeah, but yeah, they can get this book at Amazon.com, and uh, you know everybody seems to know how to do that. Mm -hmm. The autograph copies will be available at DaleBlack.org. Dale, before we finish up. Can you leave us with one last positive message? Yeah, it's 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 the message that needs to be told again and again and again that Jesus is the Messiah. He's coming again. I believe I'm going to see his return in my lifetime and I'm 73 right now and if if I'm going to see him in my lifetime that probably means that it's going to be soon. It doesn't mean that we have another 100 years or 200 years for this to end. Jesus is the Messiah. He's coming back. Learn about him. He said that he didn't come, God didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus, they would be saved. So learn about Jesus as the Savior. But when he comes back again, there's not going to be time. 
when he comes back again, it's going to be too late. We have to be, make him Savior now, right here in this earth. And you have nothing to lose and everything to gain if you do do that now. But if you wait too long, it will be too late because he's coming back as judge. And it's going to be brutal. And when it's all cleared up, then there's going to be this millennial reign. And it's going to be wonderful. It'll be wonderful there. But there's going to be some difficult times for about three and a half, four years. And that three and a half to four years could start any time. I'm not saying that Jesus is coming back in three and a half to four years, but I but I would I would I know that he's coming back at the right after the sixth seal is opened. And that sixth seal is is not going to be tomorrow or next week. But a person's lifespan is not going to last like it has in the years past. We're going to see that first seal open pretty soon, maybe within months, maybe within a year. But the first seal is going to start a clock ticking that about three and a half to four years later, there's going to be the rapture of the church. Then it's going to be too late. And... uh uh, yeah, the the fact of the matter is that that God loves everybody that's listening to this channel right now. It doesn't matter. I've talked to a mass murderer, a guy that was a serial killer. I got to talk to him. We spent quite a bit of time together, and he turned his life, even with that kind of a background, he turned his life over, turned his life in, and surrendered himself. Well, he was executed many years later. But this man went to be with God with joy and with peace and with forgiveness. Now, that's pretty extreme. But God can forgive anything you've done. If you're listening to the sound of my voice and Jeff's voice, he can forgive anything and he will forgive anything. So you're you're not too far gone now, but don't delay. Give him the controls of your life and do it quickly. And you'll forever be glad that you did. Dale, thank you for your message, and thank you for being my guest. Jeff, the honor is completely mine, and I'm so glad to get to know you personally. I hope we'll have a good, long relationship, the two of us. I hope so, too. Praise the good Lord. Thanks for your time with you, to be with you today. Thank you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.